Hello and welcome to the Palladium Podcast. I'm your host, Wolf Tyvey, one of the editors of Palladium Magazine, and I'm joined today by a guest, uh, an author of ours, written a few articles, Pasha Kamashev. Uh, Pasha, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So the most recent article that Pasha's written is an article on America's grand strategy in artificial intelligence or lack thereof and why it's important to have something in that area. And I I think you touched on some of kind of what that might look like. Um, And so that'll be a fun topic to get into today. I basically want to get into going through the whole AI issue top to bottom, most focusing mostly on the grand strategy aspect, like how does the state relate to this thing? How should we be kind of approaching this insofar as we have an organized collectivity? Um, but Pasha, how about we start out with you introducing yourself a little bit in terms of your career and where you're coming at this, uh, this from? Yep. Uh, so I graduated from Yale in 2009 and, um, for the last 10 years, I've been working in uh, various tech companies. Um, so it's been Microsoft, um, on Bing, um, mostly doing performance optimization on a lot of parts uh, mm-hmm. of the search engine. Then um, I was in Facebook advertising, which is a self-interesting area. Then I was working on Amazon video recommendations. And now I'm back at Microsoft, um, again, originally on Bing, uh, helping with some monetization optimizations. And uh, now I'm on Azure machine learning platform. Okay. Um, so it's, you know, it's been more in the news lately, this particular platform, because Jedi is running on it. So, um, what, but yeah, what's that's Jedi? Kind of, uh, Jedi is the U.S. military contract that has been awarded to Microsoft. Um, it's like a $10 billion contract that, um, no, I presume the company is pretty excited about having some. Is that something like the the one that Google wouldn't take? Uh, actually, it, most of the uh, fights are actually between Amazon and Microsoft. Uh, Google does not uh, do that much work with the military, as far as I can tell. It's it's all Amazon right. and Microsoft trying to fight for contracts. Right, but I, m- I remember there was a um, an incident within Google where there was a lot of protests from the Google employees. Um, basically not wanting to work with the U.S. government. Yeah. So th- this is actually a perfect segue into the article itself because the uh, a lot of the protests that uh, tech workers um, have are usually around non-military contracts. It's usually around right. either facial recognition for the police or uh, immigration for ICE. Um or other kind of more random things, but those are the top two things people protest, um, from what I've heard. Um, yeah, and I guess all that means is is just that those companies aren't getting those contracts because those technologies are out there. People know how to build them. There's demand. It's going to happen. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to happen. But uh, also keep in mind that the people protesting tend to be kind of a vocal minority. Yeah. And the uh, most people are sort of don't really care either way. Um, you know, they have to get paid and go home and they don't worry too much about the political implications of the work. Right. So, 
Yeah, so this was one of the issues in your article. We talked about kind of uh, tech workers or a lot of the tech workers, especially the, the I guess, vocal minority, um, being unsatisfied with the vision that, that the United States government is putting forth in terms of how this stuff is being used uh, mm-hmm. and how it will be used. Um, could you just run us through the, 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 the larger argument in the article to kind of contextualize that and uh, give us good ground to kind of uh, get into each individual issue? Yeah, so uh, originally um, I got the idea for the article just after reading the White House website and uh, the Chinese AI strategy. Right. Um, and my reaction was like, guys, we can do better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as, as in many things, yeah, America could yeah, be doing a lot better. <laughs> we can dream bigger. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, not that China is dreaming that big, but even stuff like, okay, we can create smart cities. Um, smart cities can mean a lot of things, but yeah, I mean, th- that's one of those terms that like my, my instinctive reaction to it is, okay, that sounds like a hype buzzword. It sounds like probably devoid of functional content. Like maybe there's something there, but, but a lot of it's just, just kind of grift. Um, what's your assessment of that? Do you think there's something real in the smart cities thing? Like, like what, it, what is an example of smart city technology that, that is real? Because as far as I can tell, a lot of it, it's just a buzzword tech. Uh, I'm not actually that familiar. My okay. guess was that they were actually enabling the city to be easier, more easily navigatable by cars, by self-driving cars. Uh, okay. And that is important. Uh, like, yep. uh, And you can do a lot of um, lots more optimizations on uh, self-driving car technology. Uh, but before I get into the particular details, the sure. tone of the strategy felt big to me of like, right. they they want to win, they want to have an AI-enabled society, and sure, they can be a little bit caught up in hype, but everyone is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, everyone's, everyone's full of hype. I mean, I've made this point before that like, there's always inefficiency that you can always find a bunch of examples of, of nonsense in the system. And the question is just whether the nonsense overwhelms the functionality. Um, and certainly China these days has, has uh, a much more sort of bold, like glorious future kind of aesthetic to it. At least that's what they're trying to project and what they're trying to do. Um, and so far, they've been doing a pretty good job at it. But but yeah, that, that I'm not surprised to, to hear that sort of they have an AI strategy that has these bold claims. But um, yeah, I, I think I have some other comments, but go on. Yeah. And so to your previous question of um, the tech workers are unsatisfied with what the government is giving them. Uh, I think that's true. There's also important to remember that tech workers don't truly feel satisfied with what the industry is giving them either. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not like, I think one of the points you made in the article is it's not like, you know, optimizing Google's algorithm to deliver ads is like this highly socially meaningful work or whatever. Yeah. And I've, <laughs> I've been doing that for, for a couple of years for various companies. And uh, it's, it's fun to like kind of see the bottom line improve and be like, Oh, you made the company so many you know millions of dollars. And, um, 
but at the end of the day, you're like, okay, so what is this leading for to a societal outcome? Like, yeah, yeah, what does this actually do for us? <laughs> what does it actually do for us? Yeah. Uh, and so, um, competing with that, like a regular military application seems cooler. You're like, oh, I get to build a, a, a drone or a, um, yeah, sort of surveillance system. Build some technology that at least, like, theoretically makes the military stronger so that, you know, we don't have to deal with as much war. Yes. Uh, that's one, like, potential positive application. Um, but I think tech workers in particular have this very strong sensitivity around the whole um, immigration uh mismanagement in the government yeah it's a very politicized issue certainly a lot of people are really mad at at the immigration uh enforcement in agency the ice ICE. yeah i think that that in some ways is like almost like a proxy battle for the h1b itself like right uh, tech workers i think are a little bit unused to fighting on their own behalf so they sometimes will make a protest, which is just like the resentment is there around uh, bureaucratic mistreatment of them, uh, but they talk about bureaucratic mistreatment of illegal immigrants, where it doesn't feel like right. it's okay, a natural yeah. alliance. Um, right, like like it's really annoying to have to cross the border and deal with all this immigration stuff, so you get like a negative impression of all the immigration stuff. And then so when there's these sort of high-profile, uh, heart-wrenching you know, images in the media coming out of that issue it's it's very easy to just be like okay well i'm i'm just i know what side i'm on on this yeah exactly exactly so but to get back to sort of the grand strategy view um imagine doing like the apollo project or the manhattan project with staff with h1bs uh-huh. uh, and to me this this image is almost comical of I mean, uh, the, the top the top uh, scientists on the Apollo project were not exactly Americans, but uh, sure. <laughs> but that, sure. that was that was sort of a very special case, I think. Uh, yes, in that like it's one. And thing actually, to be like... actually, uh, there's there's another point to make here, which is interestingly the the thing about that project was it was it was almost a defining project of America to the point where the people who got to participate in it. Uh, became more American as a result. Like, and, and this is a point we made in uh, a previous article from Seth Largo describing his family history, how his grandfather had worked in, in mission control uh, at NASA as a result of um, being involved in one of the contractors after the war. And that being kind of a critical moment in his integration into American social fabric. And so there's this this interesting effect whereby like if there is actually something interesting to work on and something impressive and like nationally unifying to work on, um, it, it has a tendency to kind of like wash over these, these issues that might be otherwise, you know, loyalty issues, resentment issues around the, the, the citizenship issues. Um, Whereas I think when you have lamer projects that people are working on, it's like those are much bigger problems. I think that's true. Uh, keep in mind, this gets into kind of details of 
length of stay. If somebody's working on a cool project or even a lame project for three to four years before they become a citizen, it's um, it's one thing to be in that position, but it's another thing if it's like 10, 10 years of um, staying in the country, um, fighting with bureaucracy. Right. The, but this gets back into the, yes, the projects we work on need to be aimed at their, like, at a true social good yeah. uh, that advertising is you know, not a great approximation for. Um, y- yeah. Um, and, and, and so we like touched, we touched on this in the article and I, I sort of see like two problems in that, especially with respect to AI. So one of the problems is that we're overall not entirely sure what to do with society or, or maybe like a more cynical take is we kind of know what we're doing with society and it's anything but purpose. Um, but basically there's, there's the larger problem of like, okay, well, what is America for? What is society for? What is human civilization for? What defines the good life? And we don't really have an answer to that to which we could slot in like, okay, well, here's how AI helps with that. Um, at least we don't have answers that, that people agree on or are being officially enforced or anything like that. Um, and then the second problem is even if you do have a pretty positive view of what the future should look like in general, in terms of human society, I think artificial intelligence is particularly difficult to integrate because it's really about like our fundamental identity in a way of like, who are we? What kind of civilization are we? How, how do we derive value from like turning over increasing amounts of our kind of intellectual work to machines that's perhaps a, a like sensationalistic way of putting it. But I think there's like this additional issue of I haven't heard anyone put forth a convincing narrative of what a good AI future looks like. And and I, I think it's actually just difficult. Anyway, so there's those two issues are a backdrop to this, which is, you know, everyone's kind of feeling a little bit of a malaise about the purpose. But but I think there's like two major philosophical problems between us and AI purpose in a way. Yeah, so uh, I, have, I have a lot of thoughts here. Uh, um, it does seem that like society does have some metrics which it considers good, right? Uh, like GDP being high is better than the unemployment being low. Um, it even for those metrics which are kind of universally seen as like oh this is good, uh, it's still unclear whether this is. You know, somebody's cheating on those metrics to raise them high in a way that is not no longer correlated with welfare than it used to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the old the old example of like you marry your housekeeper and the GDP goes down, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. And so, uh, and it's true that with AI, all of these kind of problems become amplified. Um, so it's one thing if you're like, okay. We want companies to make money, and that's sort of correlated with our well-being, sure. Or we want uh, people to click on ads, and that's correlated with our well-being, okay. And then we want people to look at the website for longer, and this is all correlated with clicking on ads. And then you get into a situation where people are, you know, spending, you know, hours on Facebook scrolling through the newsfeed, and somehow we had these, like, five correlations which 
uh, you know, ideally, these are all correlated things, but we've gone so far away from like societal well-being. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's so. You previously had an article on on Facebook um, and its issues in terms of incentives and how it's structuring its optimization problem, basically. Um, but yeah, there's this general problem of you know we're getting pretty good at optimization. Uh, you know, taking a bunch of smart programmers and a bunch of data and optimizing whatever parameter of the business. Um, but we're getting good to the point where, you know, we're outrunning our, our metrics of what we actually want to be doing um, in terms of, of their robustness. And, and so that's where these issues like, you know, you know, optimizing engagement just results in people being obsessed with staying on their timeline and so on. Um, it's not really the right outcome. Yeah. And, um, we're not still quite at the point where we're able to kind of optimize any metric. Right. Um, so to give an example from Facebook as well, like Zuckerberg got in front of Congress and talked about how uh, they censor terrorist speech on Facebook and they don't need moderators to do this. Apparently AI tools can do this very well. So distinguished speech that is like deliberately terrorist, which is non-terrorist, is very easy with AI. Interesting. Uh, but then he says, like, but for hate speech, uh, we we can't do AI. It's it's very difficult. We have to have a team of moderators who are sitting in the data centers and looking at all this uh, yeah. terrible posts. Well, well, the hate speech is is really like about this like subtle political intention stuff. Mm-hmm. There's no objective definition of it because it's inherently kind of a political concept, um, and and so it's going to be it's going to be just difficult to evaluate from that perspective. But even, even if you could kind of nail that down, you've got um, the, the additional issue of just like AI technology right now is very not good at, at figuring out the meaning of things that people are saying. Um, like I, I saw this, these great kind of exercises tripping up the GT, GPT-2 algorithm you know, mm-hmm. you know someone put together that big language yeah. model that allows um allows you to like feed arbitrary kind of prompt text to the thing and then it writes convincing sounding prose as a response um at least it sort of like reads as grammatically coherent conceptually coherent stuff except that you find that the thing is completely incapable of reasoning so you ask it these basic reading comprehension questions and it just completely falls flat um and and that's sort of like it's going to be an issue with with these with these kind of like vague intentional uh, like these these things that are matters of of subtle intention like what hate speech is um, it, that that's going to be an issue it's not going to be able to to be sort of um, automated very easily. Yeah, I think the. Um... There's definitely the technological issue itself where the I play with GPT two and yeah, it's not quite there in terms of understanding. Um and it's unclear how long it will take it to be there. Um but as you made the point, uh, the fact that hate speech is such a political variable and people want to keep changing what it means means either you have an AI which keeps up with the political variables, which is itself a a difficult situation. Or uh, you admit that it's a political variable and it keeps changing and it's not the same thing as 10 years ago. Uh, 
but then um or or you uh, construct a process that can be influenced politically in a way that you do not have to explicitly acknowledge um it, like that that's sort of i think how these things end up being solved is like they they sort of aren't i well i don't know actually internally sort of how they talk about these issues but but uh, certainly externally, it's like, oh, yeah, we need human moderators, blah, blah, blah. And like we do it in this particular way. And then you you look closely and it's like, OK, well, the way they've done it is a way that just happens to have this big backdoor to allow kind of the the civil society establishment to like get its tentacles in there and define kind of what it's actually trying to control. Yeah. And I think this is actually an instance of a broader issue where um this gets into the second article where the political debates get very deeply into algorithms in a way that is very obscure from the public, in a sense, um, uh-huh. or not from the public, from decision makers in general. So you get into a situation of how do you like define uh, fairness in AI, and uh, I've had I've been to a conference where. Um, I've seen like one of the most clearest examples of like double think happening. Yeah. So as um, I wrote in the second article, uh, ProPublica would use one standard for deciding whether. And, and, uh, sorry, sorry, just for the audience who's not uh, familiar with everything. Yeah. What? Which article was that? Oh, this was the machine learning in the justice system article. So yes. to give a brief overview, there is uh, a uh, several people who have used. Uh, machine learning as an aid to sentencing uh, and then uh, to try to predict uh, whether a person is likely to uh, reoffend based on past uh, behavior such as um, number of crimes uh, as well as some demographic information like um, zip code, age, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and you basically went through the pitfalls of this approach and showed like well this in many ways isn't even a prediction problem or shouldn't be treated as a prediction problem yes and um the issue here is uh you want to have the right incentives for people not to commit crime and if you start adding a lot of demographics into it the incentives get messed up yeah um and um you can maybe spot check judges on to check if they're like doing their due diligence if they disagree significantly with certain algorithms. Uh, but to just take this output as is, is um, a little dangerous. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw some good comments to the effect of like, well, the, the machine learning and the justice system stuff, they're sort of always trying to apply it to making the judgments rather than, you know, accelerating the clunky parts of the process like looking people up in databases or uh or just like collating pieces of evidence and and things like that um or or just like the more mundane administrative tasks like they're always going after these kind of the sexy task that actually isn't necessarily the thing you want to be deploying software on um yep and that's uh that's certainly another problem of hype where people are saying like, okay, we need to use machine learning. Otherwise we're going to be left behind. Uh, And 
sure this is good for software developers who are, know this, but uh, I can see how it can easily lead to misuse, especially if you're trying to get make decisions based on it rather than just frame a simple prediction problem. Yeah. Um, so I, let's uh, let's wrap up the um, the sort of getting into the the weeds. I, I think is what we're doing here a little bit. Uh, let's wrap up the getting into the weeds about the. Um, the sort of applications of AI in these, these politically contentious spaces. And, and I think back up a little bit to talking about kind of overall, how, how are we implying, how are we applying this stuff in society? What is it? And the general question of grand strategy. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how to, where to start there, but if you have thoughts, like go the for it. way we're applying. Um, so in in like two thousand one, AI was still kind of a you know what's going on there, maybe just a purely research thing. And then uh, search came along and poured a bunch of money into AI through search and advertising through Google. Um, right, and then, because because finally there was this like large economically important problem that. Uh, was subject to this this sort of subtle big data predictive stuff that that uh, the AI algorithms that people had been developing is good at, and and so that and that condition hadn't really existed before, and so suddenly it it had this big application area. Exactly. So uh, suddenly the publication area came. People realized you could improve a number of. Uh, web properties using AI with you know, advertising, new seed optimization, uh, and various um, you know recommendations like because you bought this, you can buy this. Right, like uh, the, the Netflix recommendations and so on. Exactly. So there was, uh, I know it's we're still not like fully solve this problem, uh, and we're gonna because of spam, we need to keep resolving this problem, uh, but. That is like was the biggest place where AI got applied in the kind of the beginning of the millennium. Yeah, uh, and then people got excited about it, and it's like, okay, cool. Where, where, what else can we do with this? So what? Uh, what? Just, just to get a little bit technical here, what actual techniques were applied to the um, search optimization, newsfeed optimization, um, like product suggestion kind of stuff? It, was that the like the stuff that people are currently playing with in terms of the deep learning backpropagation stuff, or was it um, other algorithms? I'm I'm just curious, like what were the actual techniques used on the ground there? Um, uh, before the whole deep learning uh, took over, and I think deep learning took over like 2012, 2013. Okay. Um, there was a kind of a variety of semi-competitive techniques with itself. Um, it was kind of regular neural networks, decision trees, and matrix decomposition. So regular uh, neural networks, that was that was sort of just neural networks before we figured out how to do the backpropagation properly or something? No, we knew how to do backpropagation for, for a while. It's just there was a number of uh, tricks which enabled more deeper neural networks to perform well and to okay. solve the problems they used to have before. Uh, normal neural networks, I mean, is like kind of a four up to four layer, large number of hidden nodes, neural networks with just 
you know, aggregated a bunch of features together. Yeah. And the main difference is that um, you would still require a large number of software developers to handcraft a bunch of features, which would be a bunch of other pieces of code to be then be aggregated. And right, and that's people... that's like just just to to kind of make that explicit in terms of what features are and and why that is necessary. Features would be things like you're looking at an image, finding the blobs of color, finding the edges, mm -hmm. finding uh, like particular patterns, maybe, uh, and and then sort of abstracting those out a little bit, so pre-processing it before you pass it to um, the the neural network algorithm, which which would then reason on like the the relationships between those features. Uh, yes, image processing is slightly bad example because okay. most of the time you need features is usually in text processing. Okay. Uh, but yes, uh, that is roughly correct. And so um, there. Uh, so that was like the first decade of the millennium of people uh, got a bunch of money, and then we figured out okay, we need we can do image processing. We can um, figure out. Um, uh, you know, how to route things better, maybe. Yeah. Um, we can figure out the best way to lay out our warehouse. So a lot of logistics stuff became a little bit easier with some AI. Interesting. Um, so so what was that like? Because optimization problems, like I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit technical here, but something of a layman in terms of like, how do you actually apply this stuff? So I, I, I'm not sure I see how say deep learning or statistical techniques are useful for optimization problems. I, I haven't, I, I don't feel super confident enough to like talk deeply about this particular issue. Um, but um, so my main, my main personal experience has been generally with like search engines and uh, how things evolved like inside there. Um, okay. And um, um you know, uh, it used to be that like search engines would be like, okay, we're just gonna find you the image, um, and then now we're gonna say, okay, we need to we can process the images. We can tell you all the images that are similar looking to it uh, based on color, based on these other features. Um, so, um, as far as applications beyond it, um, so right now we are. Uh, kind of the situation where some people think we can use AI for anything whatsoever. Um, so it would be like, yeah, and by by AI, of course, we mean the current deep learning techniques. I, I'm always wanting to kind of like crush this buzzword of AI because it means so many different things to so many different people and it has all these weird connotations. But in terms of actual immediate techniques we're talking about like current deep learning technology uh, yes mostly so there is um a good example here is something like ibm watson uh i want to say it's a good example right. it's kind of a bad example in a couple of ways but it's uh it won jeopardy uh and uh ibm has tried to spin out as a medical advice um or kind of use the brand Watson to push other software, which may not be related to the original Watson. Uh, and then right. yeah. uh, I was talking to a, a researcher uh, a while ago, it was like five years ago, and she was very skeptical at even then. She was like, oh, no, 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 Watson is a bunch of hard-coded stuff, 
and is actually not real AI, uh, which by that point she meant deep learning. Um, and uh, a few years later, a bunch of articles come out saying that uh, so many hospitals lost a bunch of money trying to integrate Watson to their workflow and they couldn't do it. Um, and so the desire to crush the buzzword is, is good. Uh, it's tricky because people use the buzzword precisely for like some confusion of like what exact algorithm is underlying this situation is it can be hard to tell from the outside. Right. That, that's why I've sort of, um, I'm not sure if it's a joke or not, but I've ad- advocated just getting rid of the word AI and just using the word software. Um, you know, we built some software to do this problem. Um, because it's like, you know, whenever you're actually building a software system where you're using a whole bunch of different algorithms, you're using a whole bunch of different techniques. Um, and, and yeah, I, I just, I get annoyed by, by the, um, vagueness of this debate usually. And I think it, I think it lends its, the, the vagueness kind of lends into the, the difficulty of it. Uh, of talking yeah, about I have on. two reactions to this. One positive, one one negative. Uh, the positive reaction okay, is um, uh, I do like, I do think when people think about as just software, they tend to make more correct decisions. So if somebody talks about binary trees in software, they're like, oh, I'm going to lay this tree out in memory and figure out exactly where things go and how does it work. When somebody talks about decision trees, or oh, because it's AI or it was used to be AI, people are like, oh, it's a model and Lord things. And you have an analogy of a human thinking instead of thinking of right. the software directly. So it can definitely sometimes help people to be like, no, no, what, what is the computer actually doing underneath all of these buzzwords? Yeah. Uh, my negative reaction is uh, I think we actually need more specialization in software, not less. Um, you mean in how we talk yeah, about it? Yeah, is in there is this joke in you know software developers. Oh, you're a full stack developer. If you were a full stack uh, driver, you'd be asked to drive a, a Toyota, a Mazda, a tank, a plane, uh, and that uh, software developers keep needing to switch all the technologies a lot of times in a way that um, is it's like frustrating. I mean, it's job security. But it's right. uh, a lot of things are changing in the way that y- you don't feel like you have a um, like good sense of whether your skills are relevant or not in the future. So I, just, just to finish off, the, you were telling a little bit of a story of like the re- last two decades of kind of quote unquote AI progress. Um, and, and so you covered the 2000s, but then there was the 2010s and and something interesting happened in the 2010s, which is the whole deep learning revolution. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And and the eye here is just to like summarize what is this stuff that we're talking about right now? And then and maybe we can talk about the, uh, what it might be in the future as well. But like what happened in the 2010s with yeah, deep so learning stuff? Like uh, most of my, just to ground this a little bit, most of my experience has actually been with uh, what is the, previous decade stuff. So the thing that changed uh, is um, one, now the features that used to be kind of hard coded uh, by developers can sort of be discovered by the network itself. Um, 
And yeah. uh, there's various techniques to, to do that, to kind of, you know, compress uh, the data and to decide, okay, based on this compressed data, we can just, we can figure out that these th things are very prominent. Um, and then there was a number of like various innovations in how to encode text uh, into uh, numbers. Uh, so basically take right. a word. Yeah, because these algorithms operate on, on basically vectors of continuous values, which like how does how exactly do words fit into that is is uh, a difficult problem but but yeah they, they yeah came up with some solutions. yeah it should be seem pretty clever it was just like a large vector of numbers that relates to how words appear next to other words uh yeah and it's that's it's um i was actually reading about this the other day it's uh, i think it's called word embedding where each word maps onto like some point in a multi-dimensional space and then words that are used similarly and um, um, near each other are, are, it, it optimizes the embedding such that those words are close to each other in that, in that space, such that you, you get basically, um, this space with, with clusters of, uh, clusters of meaning, but it's a continuous space. Uh, yep. Yep. If, did, yeah, that's am right, I, that's am right. I summarizing that? Properly? Um, and then the other innovation was basically innovations in um, kind of neural network connections. So instead of doing a full connect network, you would like link some parts of it together or um, do some other like... It, is that like skip links and yeah. convolution? Um, okay. Uh, yeah, it, it's fine. It's that fine. Stuff. I don't want to get so, too and deep into the technology. The, the last thing, well, not the last thing, but one of the big things that happened in the last couple of years is sort of the explosion of reinforcement learning uh, with Google's um, AlphaGo, AlphaStar, um, and OpenAI's Dota uh, game plane AIs. Uh, right. And that's that's just they're using, they're using some notion of reward as the thing they're training the a, a fairly standard neural network to optimize for. Is uh, that right? Roughly, yeah. There is um, okay. Those algorithms, uh, and it's a, it's an interesting story. They're fairly um, uh, hardware intensive. Like uh, uh, OpenAI yeah. has like large bill for hardware, and they talk about years of training. So my sense is that <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like like you look at their budget, and it's just like wow, you guys spent like half a billion dollars on computing time. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I, I think I've heard some cynics say that like a lot of these results are are like not necessarily that uh, that distinguishable from sort of having just brute forced the problem with that much computing power. Yeah, I don't know if I sure go if that far. That I think it's up. definitely an improvement over brute force, <laughs> but there could be vast improvements over it. Um, and um, uh, yeah, I, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, I. I Anyway, so so that's what's that's what sort of happened over yep. the 2010s. Is this this deep learning uh, revolution, a bunch of new techniques that made neural networks much more viable uh, as a technique to solve a lot yep. of problems. Um, yeah, and then and then so like going forward, like let, let's just complete sort of the technology timeline here, so that we have some idea of what we're talking about and what we're trying to you know make work with the rest of society and so on. But but going forward, kind of like what 
I don't know if you pay attention to sort of AI fundamentals research in terms of like what people are doing with trying to integrate the deep learning stuff with symbolic reasoning or trying to like make the deep learning thing capable of reasoning or, or all the other sort of aspects of intelligence that, it, that the current methods don't capture that people are trying to figure out ways to capture. I, um, I don't know that stuff very well myself. I know that it exists. I'm not sure whether to be convinced by it or not, but there's sort of like a bunch of people working on the future of these these algorithms. And, and I wonder if we can kind of characterize what we expect to be happening in the future or, or what the general expectation is uh, of what, what people think is going to be coming. Uh, okay, so prediction is very hard, especially with the future. Um, uh, yes, I'm, of course. Um, I'm following a little bit, not like too deeply. Uh, I do think we haven't quite squeezed everything out of deep learning yet. Um, and the yeah. integration of um, things with symbolic reasoning or like going back to uh, some aspects of logical AI could be fruitful. Yeah. Um, this still gets into the philosophical questions of like, uh, we still need to get better at defining what the metrics are or what good is or... Um, yeah. Well, and, and and in terms of like why we need the metrics and so on, like how are we imagining applying this stuff to society, um, in in going forward in future? It's it's like basically we're talking about taking all these big data streams that we have increasingly in society with the Internet of Things, with like everyone's social media, with you know cameras doing facial recognition and all these things that are that are creating these data streams. We're talking about integrating those data streams having having the algorithms to like make meaning out of all that data um in terms of like figuring out who is who and who went where and and uh you know like what's what the like opportunities for optimization are or just optimizing logistics but we're talking about basically like generally ramping up the ability of our software systems to deal with these huge optimization problems and these huge data problems um and and I, from what i understand that's like the big show in ai is is that central thing of like big in some sense like intelligent handling of big data um and and i'm not sure whether there's like I guess there's then there's additional kind of uh, applications like yeah. self-driving cars, robotics, that kind of thing. Um, so if we can sort of um, like let's let's make like a conservative but optimistic uh, projection of capability of like what we think sort of might be possible. And I think the two big predictions, not necessarily predictions, but like the two big things I would have in the model are like. Okay, imagine all our machines are capable of like at least animal level intelligence in terms of just like, you know, they can understand you when you ask them to do things and they know how to do those things and, and that sort of stuff. Like the classic, like, hey, computer, can you calculate this? Hey, computer, can you get me a coffee? Like that kind of stuff. Um, and then the other big one is just like total information awareness, integration of data streams, what I like to call <laughs> digital totalitarianism. <laughs> that's, a, that's exciting, <laughs> you know. People right. um, so th those are like the two big things that I see being enabled by this stuff. And um, 
if you want to dissent from from those like soft predictions, do go ahead. Um, but like in terms of what are we talking about of like vision of how we apply AI to society? I think it's like those things are the questions that we have to answer. It's like, what do we do with those? I think on the most near term, um, self-driving cars will work. Um, and it might take longer than uh, people expect because everything takes longer than you expect. Um, but that's sort of right. a positive near term thing that will probably help society quite a bit. And it's very exciting. Um, and then there is, you know, a bunch of random applications. Like I saw, recently heard about it, somebody starting an AI company based on, you know, putting uh, cameras onto airplanes and detecting birds which are about to collide with an airplane. Um, like, okay, that, right. that's pretty cool. Yeah, and and so these are these are sort of like the the, the kind of what you might call mundane mm-hmm. robotics. Um, applications where it, you're you're essentially getting it to the point where like okay my car is finally smarter than a horse um <laughs> in terms of like how uh how it interacts with the world and how we can interact with it and and like okay my airplane is finally mm-hmm. as smart as a bird in terms of dodging things and uh that kind of stuff um so that's like not necessarily transformative mm-hmm. impact it's perhaps large impact in terms of how we design cities, how we do transportation, uh, the economic benefit can be large, but it, it's we sort of know how to yeah. deal with that kind of stuff. It's like, great, we have better tools. We now have a car that is both as smart as a horse and as fast and efficient as a car. But one of uh, one of the things I worry about is like soldering cars, is, people will figure this out. Uh, there's some sort of anti-research and potential anti-optimizations or uses of AI. And this is stuff that's related back to questions of deciding whether a person is risky, um, you know, for the justice system type stuff, where if you start using statistical AI in hiring, for example, and there's there's some sense people are yeah. trying to do that, um, you, you can run into a number of similar issues of disincentivizing like particular features of hiring. Or um, yeah. what is also likely to happen is that people will start complaining that your AI is... Um, biased on a particular metric and then try to de-bias it effectively hard coding certain affirmative action pieces into it right and that's that's like again you know if someone can successfully make a claim that your system is biased such that you have to like let them go in there and introduce their own what they call counter bias uh, you've effectively just like opened the thing up to to like political manipulation which you know, maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. It's it's hard to say, but that's definitely what's happening there. Uh, I think it's like, maybe not in isolation, it's hard to say whether it's a bad thing or a good thing, but uh, it feels like it's a very ad hoc situation where you would... Ho- yeah. I mean, as everything tends to be, it's like, it's, it's really messy and incoherent and confused about what this it is. This is where like the state or the government could sort of step in and say like, okay, um, we want to cleanly define what affirmative action is mathematically from an AI perspective. Uh, and yeah. And that, and that's, and that's where like you get into sort of the differences between the U S and China, because in America it's like, okay, well we, it's, it's really hard to imagine the government taking a competent leadership role in sort of defining any yep. of this stuff or like 
providing any positive direction to it. Whereas in China, it's just like, oh, yeah, well, of course, the government is going to have like all its directives on, on how to apply this stuff. Um, and it's not like we don't have institutions kind of governing how all this goes. There's like, you know, there, there's many of these kind of civil society organizations, big foundations, uh, etc., that, you know, have, have large budgets dedicated to the problem of working with tech companies to accomplish particular political or metapolitical kind of results in in these algorithms and so on. Um, yeah, it's just it seems to me the those organizations tend to take it's just not the government, like the tech companies' advice on some of the stuff. And most of the times this is fine, except when you talk about fairness and bias. The tech companies themselves are very beholden to kind of the journalistic groups and. Yeah, and, and, and that's sort of like the, the a lot of the people I'm talking about. So there's the journalistic establishment, and then you have your kind of like, I the, roughly the philanthropic establishment. Like if you look at the organizations that say Twitter will work with when it puts together its like trust and safety council to regulate its algorithms and its, uh, et cetera. It, it's like, okay, well, there's a bunch of algorithms. There's a bunch of organizations that obviously have established budgets to be managing this problem. Yeah, and so the question is like, um, if who do we trust to implement this grand strategy then? <laughs> right. Well, that's. I mean, that's that's always the big the big question. I mean, I have my quippy answer on who who gets to decide these things, and that's always you know always and everywhere. It's whoever's in power, um, and, and like generally they find ways to make sure it all goes according to some, whatever vision that they they want. So, you know, broadly speaking, the ruling class um, is going to get its tentacles into all of these little decisions one way or another and, and um, get them to do something that's, that's sort of politically convenient, if not coherent and good. But just in terms of like answering that question, like I, I, I always like to sort of just cut the Gordian knot on that question because because otherwise it just sort of devolves into hand. Yeah, the issue is that this starts getting to like a very real struggle of like there may be philosophical you know contradictions between ruling class in America, but then when you need to create an AI, I see this graph of you know uh, fairness according to groups on one axis and then its performance according to accuracy on the other axis and it's like inversely correlated and then somebody needs to get to pick a say like no no we're making our hiring decisions worse based on the previous axis to make it more yeah i i mean again it's like well they tweak knobs until it produces the right result and they they don't have to admit that they did that uh yeah it's that's just what's gonna happen uh well, I, I agree that that's exactly what's going to happen. It's just the, um, it's just, it's not as coherent as we'd like, right? Like we'd like a we'd like a stronger kind of more formal leadership on these questions and and like stronger direction where it's just like clear what we're actually even trying to do. And I guess this this sort of segues us into the larger question of like everyone's kind of just antsy and nervous about this issue because we know that like. Okay, this is going to be really good for doing things where we know what we're trying to do and we can admit it to ourselves. But 
it's mostly useful for problems where we don't want to admit to ourselves what we're doing. And that's like why I deliberately use the term like digital totalitarianism to describe a lot of like the stuff that I think is going to end up being done with, uh, with all these AI technologies. It's like in inevitably inherently you're kind of enabling this big panopticon that is able to like monitor and control more and more in a centralized way. And, and then like, you know, we're all going to wring our hands and run around uh, like chickens with our heads cut off philosophically um, until it gets the right answer. And then we're just going to like try put it out of our minds and stop thinking about it. But like, we have in fact kind of put into place this, this system of social control that, is optimizing for something. And, and I said, yeah, there's this tension of like, it's the thing is, is really good at doing this particular type of optimization on society that like, we're not really supposed to be doing or isn't supposed to exist, or we don't want to admit to ourselves. Um, And that's one of the big sort of fundamental tensions that I see in the issue. I guess my thoughts here is we will see a lot of kind of philosophical problems. Uh, We'll have to, kind of come solved in, in one way or another. And I don't mean solved in terms of like, oh, public will understand that's the solution, but uh, th- there right. will be a mathematical statement that is embodied in the code that will uh, point to a particular uh, solution. Uh, and then people will begin to yeah. argue whether it's correct or not. Uh, but it's, we can't be like too wishy-washy about, uh, you know, what does it mean for a system uh, uh, to be fair uh, anymore? Like, there will be a debate over this, even if it's just a debate in a conference room somewhere in, in a company. Um, uh, and yeah. this is interesting. Uh, and then this is, um, I don't know if it's good, but that's, that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Though, on the other hand, I mean, I mean, to sort of push back a little bit on the like, it will have to be in there somewhere and someone will have to make the decision again. Like if you look at we were talking earlier about sort of how Facebook does its moderation and so on, um, they, they introduce sort of relaxations to the fully automated model where they are able to introduce human judgment in such a way that um, human political influence enables them to kind of like cast off responsibility onto just like whoever's sort of making that moderation decision um, in, in a way that, that like sort of casts off the responsibility to answer the question and allows the existing power structures to answer that question. Um, and so I think, I think like oh, some of these things, certainly I think you're right. Uh, you know, there will have to be answers put in code somewhere, but I think there will be a lot of creatively finding ways to not put the answer in the code and, and like somehow draw the answer from somewhere else. In in some ways. Does that make sense? Am I, am I making sense with roughly, that? So if I were to try to um, paraphrase you in that um, certain people in power would like to have certain knobs that they will could twist and then make the AI do this, that, or the other. Um, I think there's like a strong desire. Um, not, not even necessarily anything so explicit. It's just that like 
there's going to be some activist group that raises a stink until they get their person on the board of, of like the mm-hmm. moderation system or whatever, right? Yeah, and then you get into situations where uh, these moderators have certain rules uh, that they go by or the AI has certain data which is produced by people uh, who follow certain guidelines which somebody else wants to write. Um, so yes, there is going to be sort of like human level backdoors into the system. Um, yeah. Uh, what I wish would happen, uh, like, like this, this isn't, this isn't like the crypto dream of like digital law, you know, code is now law, you know, no trusted third parties kind of thing. This is, this is very much going to be rife with trusted third parties that you don't even know about. Yeah. So this gets into like what I hope to happen. Uh, in the next 10 years in terms of AI, which I, I'm not sure will happen, but is for us to get more honest about uh, who is controlling what and what data we're putting in there. Because a lot of times people have this almost uh, disregard for kind of expert opinion because AI overruled it. So even something like a yeah, well, who, who's AI? Exactly. Yeah. So the, the simple <laughs> example here is like the open AI gaming playing Dota. And uh, one of the professional players said, I think this particular uh, technique that the AI used is actually still bad. We lost to it, but I think this particular bad. And then the developers are like, oh, but it trained for years. How can you tell that it's bad? Uh, you know, it won. Um, and so there's this debate of like, you know, the expert opinion stopped mattering the moment the human expert lost, despite his, like, you know, previous victories and all that. Um, and I, I think in the future, it would be good to be able to integrate various forms of data in a way that, like, oh, the opinion of the expert is this, and then the trained data says this, and then if you play against itself, it says that, um, in a way that's coherent. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of this is, like, there's you know, in, in this big massive confusion around the AI issue, I think there's some like kind of subterranean motivations, things like people desiring casting off responsibility from human Mm -hmm. systems. Like they, they, everyone's, you know, we all wring our hands about who gets to make decisions. So it's like, okay, well better if it's not made at all, or it's made by some objective process. Uh, Many people still believe in such a thing as an objective process. Um, And and, and, and so you get you get like people wanting to just push it off and like not have to think about it. And like the AI provides this sort of convenient answer. It's like, OK, well, the AI system came up with this and it's just correct. Or like we know how um, like like we don't have to we don't have to think about this or second guess it or instead we'll just. Uh, allow ourselves to kind of stop thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's pretty frustrating. Like the the whole like, there's all these weird complaints about oh Google interferes with algorithms. Like no guys, Google designs the algorithms. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what, what, what do you what exactly do you mean interferes yeah, l- like, with algorithms? It's no, not it's like... <laughs> like they're. We're not talking like I mean, we're not talking about this like two plus two algorithm. Right, uh, you know, we're not talking about something that's mathematically predefined uh, or proven to be correct that they're interfering with. It's more of a like, here's some data that they shoved, and you could shove more data in a different way, and you're gonna have a different result. Like, yeah, and and they did it that way, you know, with some knowledge of what the result would be. Exactly. Um, and 
Yeah, and I, I think a lot of this is coming from sort of like the ambient expectation of sort of the rule of law, right? Like we expect, okay, well, there's supposed to be this fair process that's governing us and we just all follow the rules and everything works out fine and the fair process is not itself politicized. Um, and this is one of these like big, big sort of central assumptions of liberalism um, or like the thing, it's, it's like ideological commitments. And I, I think like, this this conveniently gets us back to the grand strategy issue because, um, you know, this this is again some way of just pushing off having to answer the question of what we're actually trying to do, and I think if you did have an answer of what you're actually trying to do, all these sort of like hand ringy philosophical problems just kind of evaporate, and it's like okay, well here's what I want, here's the result that I want. I'm going to build a system that achieves the result. Um, and I'm honest with myself about the fact that I want that result and that I'm going to build a system to achieve that result. And and so a lot of this is just like people sort of realize that they're making this decision of what the outcome is, but we don't have any sort of official idea of well, what what do we want here and so it all is just based on on like the these backroom politics, people's like sub subjective or subconscious kind of um, intuitions about what they think they want, or people find ways to kind of like cast off responsibility, do the problem in such a way that they're not making the decision. It's someone else. It's the crowd. It's you know this activist organization that we hired to like tell us what the right answer is or or whatever. And I think. It's it's this like lack of courage to define what we want, stemming from not knowing what we want in the first place. That that is really the central issue, and I think that's that's like if I can get into you know the difference between the American and Chinese approach is like the Chinese, they at least are acting like they boldly know what they want. Though I think um, like examining the list of things they were doing. I, I didn't really find there any answer to the question of what does what is the positive vision of an AI society. Um, I don't think they actually know what it is either, but they're sort of like barreling ahead anyways. Whereas in America, we're kind of like really antsy about the fact that we don't know what that looks like. And, and you know, finding ways to barrel ahead without trying to do that. Or like, like people are doing things. They are in fact using these algorithms, but not in a way that's like coherently. Like, here's what I want. Here's how I'm going to do it. Yeah, I guess the implicit positive vision of America is we get AI to decide things for us, so we don't have to blame each other for where things go wrong. Right, and and that's like kind of a lame vision. <laughs> I, um, I know. <laughs> and I, I mean, there's there's I guess a sophisticated version of that is like, um, you know, like when I talked to Jan Talen. I think one of the questions, one of the things raised was like, okay, well, you can actually get the AI to answer those philosophical questions. And it's like, okay, great. That's a nice thought. But AI, as it currently exists and is currently being imagined, is so far from being able to do competent philosophy that it like that's like kind of not worth talking about right now, yeah. except on the most speculative of development programs. Um because, because like philosophy, if you look at what philosophy is, is like very careful 
like exactingly correct reasoning about difficult concepts that you don't have a lot of data for, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty skeptical about it. I'm pretty skeptical what's, about what's the. Uh, uh, I'm pretty skeptical about the AI can do philosophy. Uh, yeah, and that, that like like that that specification that I just gave of like what philosophy is is like precisely the opposite of what current AI is good at, mm-hmm. which is like you the concepts are like known from enormous amounts of data. You don't have to do conceptual reasoning. You just have to recognize patterns. Um, and, and, and so it's just like, okay, well, how are we going to get an AI philosopher? Well, that's just completely out of the scope here. And anyways, that's, that's another way of just passing the thing off. It's like, okay, well, if we knew how to build a philosopher, why don't we just start doing some philosophy ourselves and come up with the answer? Right. Yep. Um, like it's not, it's not necessarily a computational problem. I think it's actually might just be a courage problem of like, (laughs) is anyone even trying to answer the question? I think the broader point is, um, and we sort of raised this multiple times in discussion of like, uh, an AI strategy can really exist in isolation from a holistic, uh, strategy of the entire country. It's not, what are we trying to do here? Yeah, it, it's not like an, we're producing iron here. It's like you can maybe produce iron for various goals that you can decide the goal later, right? We're producing AI. AI needs to be uh, either aimed particular goals or um, the way it needs to be, like even the directions of research uh, of how you research incentive structures uh, that AI is creating by its existence um would point to a different goal than if you're researching uh like fairness or causality or those kind right. of and, aspects of it. Yeah, and, and, and getting back to like my digital totalitarianism idea, it's like the kind of problems that AI is good at are these intensely political problems. Like you say, it's not this commodity thing. It's not like iron, it's not some industrial product. It's it's just a super empowered political decision, like effectively political decision making, and 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 so like the malaise about what to do with AI is perhaps the same malaise about what to do with state power in general, or what to do with power in general in a liberal society. Um, yep, and then in addition to AI provides convenient scapegoat, both in terms of. Um, blaming various problems like unemployment or um, right. you know uh, mistreatment uh, while also providing a salvation of some kind of oh we can finally live in a you know carefree society because everything's done by robots but what is done by robots is still unclear um, yeah I think we also have issues of like um, just general uh, like hype being a little bit too heavy of there's far too many projects that I've heard of where people are like, yeah, we'll try to use AI, but it seemed like it was not the right tool for the job. So we went back to like regression or other software or we did a couple of different projects altogether. So there is like... Yeah, I, I think we actually had an article on this uh, from Ryan Karana about, um, I forget exactly the title, but it's something like um, the automation hype is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, there's all this automation hype. So this company is like, oh, well, everyone else is doing it. I guess we better do it too. And so they try to do it. They announce it, you know, lots of hype. It perpetuates the hype. And then it, the thing actually doesn't work um, and, and kind of falls flat, but they don't really want to talk about that. 
Um, yep, def definitely seen a, a few like failed projects where um, you get the sense that, and this goes back to your point of like, is AI just software? Like, software is definitely eating the world. Uh, whether a particular sub portion of it called AI is eating software as a whole is still actually to be decided. Um, right. And then there's a number of techniques that will be outside of AI which are perfectly functional um, for solving problems. So you'd have situations like, even something like Alexa for Amazon uh, probably has a ton of developers working on like if statements, uh, you know, and a bunch of software which is not technically AI but can be pitched as a success of AI. Yeah, Amazon. like like one of the things that that um, I was I was at a conference where I got a chance to talk to Stephen Wolfram. Um, and one of the things, a, an interesting point that he made was like the, the things that we're trying to do with AI are sort of the things that people are good at. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's this whole other segment of what we do with software and what we do with science in general, that is the stuff that people aren't good at, which is, which is sort of like managing this sort of precisely known, like huge knowledge bases of precisely known data. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is like, you know, if you look at Mathematica, Wolfram's big program, um, uh, Mathematica is, is got all of these big data sources built in. So it's like, all right, if I want to know the atomic weight of like that isotope of that element, you know, it's already got that built into the standard library and like, you know, the area of all the countries in the world and their outlines and everything, all this kind of like, just, just like cement like machine readable in, in like the classic sense data about like human knowledge of, of the world. And that's, that's one of these spaces where like computers are just way better than us at, you know, managing database systems. Like a computer can just, you know, remember a number. It's like a, this, this very fundamental thing that a computer does for a human to remember a number it requires this this like process of self-deception where you like come up with a fake story about why the number is the way it is or like there's all these sort of like memory techniques but it's clearly like abusing whatever algorithms our brain uses to actually just remember an arbitrary number and there's probably some things that are just never going to get eaten by you know so-called ai or whatever you want to call like squishy software or organic software or whatever the sort of final term for whatever whatever we're doing with this ai stuff is there will be these these other areas of of this like you know all this other software that's much more about like precise knowledge systems um and and yeah i i i think that's that's basically always going to be a, a significant part of of software and so it's good to and and it's good to remember that like those things are also going to be integrated into all of the software systems that that we build. Um, and so it's not it's not going to just be like oh AI. It's going to be software. Again, coming back to that kind of claim that um, I make. Yeah, there might be a stronger separation of like what we're doing with statistical AI versus logical software versus a right. lot of other techniques. Would hopefully there'll be a better reevaluation of terms. Uh, of what people are doing. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it would be nice to have good good technical terminology in the area instead of all the yeah. hype. Uh, I mean, there's also other wish lists that I have, like I wish more things written in functional languages and uh, right. would, 
be able to be reasoned over in a program in a provable sense, but you know. But so so I I want to like the big question that I do want to just like tap away or, or chip away at a lot more here, like uh, as as we're sort of um, coming up on on wasting too much of the the listeners' time. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get back to that grand strategy thing of like I I think I have convinced myself as a result of this discussion and, and previous discussions that, that the problem is essentially that we don't know what we want to do with society and we don't admit ourselves, we don't admit to ourselves where we have power and what we're doing with it. Um, and, and that this issue is kind of underlying a lot of the kind of philosophical and political issues around AI, um, you know, independent of the, of the particular features of AI, it's, it's most useful uh, or very useful for this particular set of problems that are the problems we kind of like don't want to admit that we're trying to solve. Um, and, or, or that like, we're not entirely honest with ourselves about, about the nature of the problems. And yeah. And, and so then the question is just like, okay, given that, what do we want to do with society? How do we start being more honest with ourselves about, the the meaning of this thing that we've built you know why are we building all these ai systems and nuclear aircraft carriers and big networks of self-driving cars and and like organizing our political system like what's it all for that's kind of the question that i think is underlying this in a way do do you agree with that assessment uh mostly yes like I think the sub part of metrics, uh, where where do we point AI towards, uh, the fact that we struggle with it or um, we kind of fight over it sometimes, uh, definitely points to the question of okay, we don't know how to measure what a good society is. Or well, given to societies, we don't. It's hard to tell. Uh, okay, this society A is better than society B. So it's given that that is hard to tell how we're going to have an AI point us in the correct direction. Like, all we have are a bunch of proxy metrics that people are... Um, yeah, and that's the stuff thing. like GDP, health, etc. Yeah. And GDP is, like, in the grand scheme of things, not the worst, but... Uh, yeah, and, and actually, like, to be a little bit more optimistic, like, maybe maybe I've been focusing a little bit too much on the, like, okay, here's the one difficult philosophical problem, which is this most holistic problem. But there's also a lot of things where it's like okay we generally know what we're doing here you know we want more wealth we want more stuff we want to be able to do more um we want to be healthier we want better logistics we want better communications etc and a lot of that is just like okay that's fairly fairly clear um and and so like there is there is this like even you know, put, putting putting aside for now the kind of like big philosophical problems with the application of AI, there's actually quite a bit in in sort of a positive uh, positive conception of how we could apply this to society, like in in problems that don't have that character, um, and and it is kind of a compelling vision, and in in many ways that's a lot of I guess what China is talking about, mm-hmm. and and a lot of the problems that are being worked on in America as well. Um, just like, okay, how do we use these software techniques to, you know, make better products and, and, uh, make things work better. Yeah. And, uh, I think 
orthogonal to that issue, there is a kind of a third issue point in the article, which is we need better science. Uh, and that is, uh, in AI, you would think that given how this is all software, it should be easily replicatable. There is still, like, uh, given how people don't want to share the code too much, it's still kind of hard to replicate some of the results and to tell exactly which technique is responsible for which gain. Right. Uh, and yeah. so there is this, like, factor analysis uh, is uh, lacking. As a result, there is this joke of most professors optimize thing using graduate student descent. Uh, right. <laughs> so it's yeah, basically getting a bunch of graduate students to, to figure out how to make it go. <laughs> yeah, it's basically to sweep through hyperparameters using a bunch of graduate students as you are, you know, um, kind of trial and error people. Um, yeah. And it, it actually ends up working most of the time if the problem is solvable, um, but it just feels like deeply inefficient and uh, we don't have like knowledge that is that reliable about which technique works uh, better and why. And so a lot of people have a lot of trial and error situations of like, why do I have these vanishing gradients? So why is my model performing the state of the art kind of thing? You're um, right. And, and that's sort of where I guess the field itself is actually kind of pre-scientific in a way and that we don't have like crisp theoretical explanations of what's going on mm-hmm. um, from what you could, you could start to kind of f- flesh out the, the knowledge. Like if you look at sort of a well, well-established engineering field, like, you know, material science or metallurgy, metallurgy is actually a really good example. Cause it's like a bunch of black magic that now we basically understand what's going on with metallurgy. Um, and for most of human history, we had no particular idea what was going on with metallurgy. And it was all this like kind of traditions of craft knowledge, uh, much in the way that, that I think, I guess, a lot of current AI optimization is. It's it's pre-theoretical. People people have these hunches. They have these implicit models. They sort of know how to solve this one problem, um, in, in a craft sense. But there isn't there isn't um, the theoretical crispness to be able to do science to it quite yet. Um, and yeah, so that, that seems like a pretty central problem is like, okay, well, if we're actually going to be engineering these systems and, and putting more and more of the responsibility in our society on them, uh, and having them solve more and more important problems, it would be good to know what they're actually doing and how they work, um, and how to make them work better. And I, I've seen some good work in this area. I've seen people talking about, you know, like free energy principle and bringing thermodynamics and statistical mechanics into like, okay, well, why does, why does the, the deep learning thing work at all? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hopeful about this. Given the replication crisis exists, I think there is definitely a sense that people are aware of this and are interested enough in truth. There's also some incentives to actually figure this out. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, so, but I would love to see more like adversarial research or factor analysis research. Um, on yeah, inst- and that's that's maybe like an institutional thing that <laughs> could be out of our out of our capabilities at the current time, just in the sense of like, okay, do we have an institution that's capable of deflating someone else's hype yes. reliably uh, without yeah. introducing more hype of its own? Um, yeah, and that's 
uh, that can be surprisingly tricky of like, uh, you know, all, you know, academia is supposedly interested in truth, but really like the hype is more of a driving force here. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've dreamed of something analogous in, in just like consumer stuff of like, I'd love to just be in charge of the department of frugality and, and <laughs> like be in basically the job is go around to all the advertising narratives that are flying around in, in sort of what people think is important to buy and just systematically poke holes in them and, and apply skepticism in like a loud public way yeah. uh, and de deflate all the hype. Cause it's like society is absolutely chock full of hype about like, Oh, you got to buy this. You need that. Like this thing is so important. That thing is, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, you know, this is, I've, I've had that kind of idea before and it's very much closely related to this idea of adversarial research of having, scientists running around not just trying to prove novel results but trying to trying to disprove other people's stuff um and uh yeah i think i think that would be very productive because otherwise you get this kind of asymmetry where everyone's incentive is to add to the pile of hype and and no one has the incentive to just take away from it yeah and i also think um from the teaching side of education, this is sort of my dream is I, I wish we had these like very epic, you know, secluded uh, with Wi-Fi, of course, AI monastery um, <laughs> where, you know, we take children at an early age, uh, obviously preselected by, you know, the finest mathematical tests uh, and teach them like both philosophy and what used to be called liberal arts education uh, and like deep mathematics to, to the extent where, you know, they need to outperform all previous math people before. And later on, they come up as this, like, amazing group of children able to do AI, like Ender's Game, but for AI. Yeah, um, I mean, that would make a great science fiction novel. Uh, again, I'm afraid that sounds beyond our current capabilities as a society. Yeah, I, I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, it probably does. You're probably right, realistically speaking. But, like, China does this with athletes, right? They're, they're yeah, like, yeah. No, I think I think that's certainly the sort of thing that, that China would do. And, I, again, I think it just comes back to, like, having this victory idea of like, what, what is it that we're going for here and that everyone kind of gets rallied around one way or another. Um, and once you have that idea of what we're all kind of, what direction we're all rowing in, then, you know, you start coming up with these creative ways to, to pursue that. Um, like, you know, early mathematics and, and philosophical education to kind of like, try to solve the AI issue, but like you can't do that without a clear narrative of like, why are we solving the AI issue? To what end are we solving this thing? What are we trying to do with it? Uh, and, and just like the fact that institutions in society are even subordinated to some purpose is almost contentious uh, right now. Yeah, I do see some positives in solving this as well. Like the creation of a space force is, is kind of cool. Um, yeah, I, I hope they have power armor. That's my only wish. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> th that would be a cool, like, you know, vision of uh, uh, we're going to co colonize the moon with our space marines with, with our you know, friendly robots to help them. So, right. Um, no, there, I, yeah, there's, there's, again, like, if we get back to, like, the vast majority of problems actually are are fairly clear what we need to do and, and where the value is and there's a lot of cool stuff that can be done by just solving those problems um, in, in AI and, and in everything else. And it's just this, this like 
pernicious core of, of really frustrating philosophical political problems that are, are increasingly the, the cause of all our remaining problems. Yeah, I do agree that the, like, the desire to win um, is In whatever important. that means. <laughs> whatever that means, yeah. And like, the desire to win is probably better than not lose, but it's still not quite a positive vision. And like, okay, we want to colonize space. It's like a slightly more positive vision. But then, you know, at what cost are we doing this to the people on Earth is like another question. Yeah, and, and like, why is this important? Right? <laughs> yeah, why is this um, And yeah, this this is the thing. Like, I, I think this keeps coming up, actually. Um, it, it's in a couple different sort of uh, our internal discussions, our discussions with authors on, you know, okay, let's say we've got someone else doing doing um, an article on geopolitical grant strategy. And, well, you know, you dig in that enough and you think about it enough and you realize, okay, well, the problem there is also what are we even trying to do with this thing? Why, why is this thing important? Why do we need to have an empire and a society? Like, what are we organizing ourselves to do? And sort of malaise about that idea or about that set of questions is is generating so much of our other issues and so that that's like i guess one of my big takeaways from all this like i was hoping you know maybe we can get into positive vision of like what does the ai enabled society look like um i you know maybe maybe we can shed some light on that but but definitely one of the big takeaways here is that we are currently kind of unequipped as a society to um answer questions of purpose uh especially the, the big questions about about collective purpose and and you know sometimes i'll say things like that when i actually sort of privately have a hunch as to the answer and i think this ai thing is like a case where i actually don't have uh a hunch <laughs> i i mean if i maybe if i thought about it more but like what do you Again, like coming back to digital totalitarianism, I think I think it's necessary to have like a a bold, shocking statement of what this thing is good for, and then like ask ourselves what do we actually want to do with that? So, what kind of digital totalitarianism do we want? So, um, you know, I can give sort of if I was really really in charge of the grand strategy, I would start like to saying okay. Let's pick a metric other than GDP. Like, say, yeah, that's always a good question. What What would I do if I was actually in charge? No, really. So, yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, okay, uh, I mean, I like life expectancy more than GDP. Um, right. And you can say, like, okay, what are the main problems that are causing life expectancy to drop in the, in the wrong way? You can say, okay, it's suicides, it's car accidents, it's opioid epidemic. Uh, I'm going to pick these three. I'm not sure if these are the top ones. but Yeah, and then and then you can have more, like, subjective judgment things, like, how many people bro- growing up in broken homes and stuff. But. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then you can say like, okay, uh, just as a put a smart person in charge of this, can they uh, like get a bunch of data and analyze the causality of what's causing all of these? Like, right. you know, a particular city is designed so badly that, um, you know, it's causing so many accidents on this intersection or th- that place. Uh, and then you can say, okay, well, uh, you know, what will it cost to solve it? Do we need to redesign the city? Do we need to put start driving cars? So it's sort of this kind of actually driving a particular like uh, 
health or wellness or like life metric. Um, yeah. But it always, uh, it, it never replaces a decision maker with AI. It's like, there's always a smart person who's the final judge uh, that yeah. who is responsible for this. Yeah, and, and, and we conceive of AI as, as a tool essentially for it. Yes. It's like, okay, we one of the tools we have available is we're able to crunch data in this particular way to produce mm -hmm. insights. And hopefully those are insights we actually just understand rather than attempting to use them directly through some machine before checking what they actually are. Yep. Um, I, I think this is one of the points um, you made previously in the article about the um, machine learning in the justice system that one of the things you could do perhaps more productively with AI than what is being done in that space is um, use it to identify weird anomalies in the system that then can, that you can then go and direct human attention to and, and change the human systems to fix, like use it as an, almost a diagnostic tool rather than a like, direct piece of the machinery. Yeah, I, yep, that, that's a good idea. In that particular situation was around identifying judges who whose predictions diverge significantly uh, from the AI, but also kind of let go of fairly dangerous people. And why did they do that? Um, right. And um, trying to figure out, you know, what's the situation there? Are they just new or uh, is there some kind of backhanded stuff going on yeah um, it's like it's like okay well you don't try to sort of carry on government by steam and and get the statistics to actually do the judgment work mm -hmm. but you use the statistics to analyze the judgments of of like well how are there weird anomalies here are is there sort of a bigger picture that's coming out of the statistics that that we need to know about to make better judgments that kind of stuff and that's something where i can definitely see these AI techniques being really valuable, though I'm not sure, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not so technical as to know kind of a bunch of applications for the deep learning techniques. I'm not sure exactly how you would apply deep learning to produce insights uh, of that type, but I'm sure people can come up with things. Yeah, my guess is um, half the time, if you put an intelligent enough person with a particular goal, um, they will not need that much deep learning. They, they will basically yeah. need a basic, a couple of basic linear regressions, and then they'll see a problem. Right, uh, and, and this is this is another point you made. I think um, that that a lot of the time, the problem is getting solved with AI, not because AI was necessary to solve the problem, but because someone was just assigned to solve the problem and told to use AI and the AI was just kind of a bag on the side to someone actually went and just looked at the problem and tried to fix it. Um, like the bug, bug fixes and so on. Like, I think you made this point in the article. Yeah. Yeah. In that, like um, you can look at a lot of bugs in the process um, and then later on you layer AI is a, uh, you know, like the fact of moving all your data to a large cloud and organizing it in a way that can be looked by AI can be so beneficial to organizations already. Then, yeah. then uh, analyzing it is actually a, not that hard for a person. Um, right. Uh, yeah, and, and or or like the the complex analysis that you're doing isn't actually the valuable part. The valuable part was sanitizing your data and getting everything in order. That yeah. Way. 
Uh, yeah, that, that said, there are some particular techniques where the AI is like invaluable. Like it usually gets into like facial recognition or stuff like yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to do facial recognition by any other means yeah. unless we invent new algorithms. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's sort of a, the aesthetic of kind of augmenting a human judgment in a way that the AI can uh, like serve as an advisor uh, and also accept kind of judgment makers uh, feedback um, I think is sort of the aesthetic that I wish we could view more rather than we're just replacing this because AI is cheap and judgment makers are expensive. Right. It's like, okay, well, AI as bicycle for your mind rather than AI as automated bureaucrat. Yes. Yeah. And maybe that's like the more of the vision that needs to be emphasized. And I guess the, the trouble is that kind of just cuts against current, sort of hype structures like the current hype is all based around the sort of simultaneously like a fear and excitement that ai is going to replace humans it's all kind of phrased as ai rather than just software because people are trying to tap into that that sort of sore point in the collective psyche um and and so that ends up being how people think about it. They're always thinking about it like, oh, how do we replace humans? How do we replace humans with this algorithm? How do we replace humans with that algorithm? Rather than this this kind of more cooperative, how do we use these algorithms to generate human understandable insight on this problem or that problem? Um, and I guess like I I've I've heard all these ideas before, and that's that's in what they did with Palantir. Um, where at PayPal they were looking, you know, they were trying to solve fraud and they realized that a fully automated system actually isn't going to work, but using a combination of statistical sort of machine learning techniques and human judgment, where the statistical techniques are just helping to organize and present the data to the human to make the decisions, um, that ended up working better. Uh, yeah, I think there is... Um kind of uh, the extreme version of this like negative aesthetic of replacing humans uh, actually comes from sort of the AI safety community, which we surprisingly haven't actually mentioned this. Yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, we've been talking more about sort of the narrow AI issue and the AI safety community. I'm annoyed by that because there's a bit of a like more sort of hand tricks going on there where nominally they're talking about, sort of far future speculative AGI super intelligence safety. And then that ends up getting conflated with like, but what if a self-driving car runs over somebody kind of safety? And those are just like completely different issues. Uh, yeah, those, those are a couple of different issues. And um, what I was talking more in terms of their aesthetics, I was at a global and listening to one of the yeah. a couple of leaders debating there. And it was like, oh, we're going to replace humans, human biology is out of the picture. And I'm like, no, please don't do that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, please, please don't just like liquidate us to turn into more computers. Yes. That's not, I, I mean, again, it's like the only visions that people are coming up with of like what to do with AI are these like heavily dystopian visions, right? And yep. so it's like, what, what, again, what are we trying to do here? What do we actually want to do with this stuff? It's it's a hard problem. It's a hard problem. Yep. I mean, I, so so of course I'll have to lay out the radical answer. The radical answer is the Butlerian jihad, where 
we nuke all the fabs and go back to like 1990s level of, <laughs> of chips. Uh, and, you know, we go to space using that stuff instead of whatever advanced hardware we have now. But that's like, that's also really a, sort of a pessimistic vision, right? But I, I but like, what is the, I, I'm frustrated by these problems. Like, what, what is the positive vision? What do we do with this thing? Yeah, there's a number of, uh, you know, technological sci-fi writers who solve the problem of uh, AI in the future by banning AI in the future. Yeah, uh, because you know, no one actually knows how to write a good science fiction novel, including real AI. Um, yeah, because it's so transformative and so confusing. It's tricky because, um, as a good science fiction writer, you probably want some conflict, and if it's right. a truly glorious future, it's going to be a little bit hard to do a, a like low low conflict. Every everyone is just amazing life thing. Although I don't think that's going to happen either. Um, right. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to see how, uh, we are, what is the best way to integrate AI into society? Uh, I think it's a little bit easier to see kind of what, what not to do. Uh, like it would be bad if every single decision of where to direct people was designed by AI. Like, you know, if your college admissions to your work, to your, uh, you know, dating matches were all decided by techniques where certain people in power keep tweaking them to achieve improvements in their life. And Yeah, or, or even worse, like the people in power aren't even tweaking them and the thing itself has become our ruling class in a way. Exactly, yeah, that, that's right. That is worse uh, in the... Uh, like the system just drifts in a way like, like so, so say what you will about manipulation of procedural outcomes and like you, you know all the all the tentacles that the ruling class puts into all these things at least there's a human in charge somewhere sort of <laughs> whereas like I, I, again a lot of the visions that people come up with are these sort of dystopian well let's just put a computer in charge and like raise our hands up and give up on the whole problem uh, well I, I kind of joke sometimes when the AI policy is already set by journalists who are driven by clickbait. Right. <laughs> so we're already ruled by AI. <laughs> yeah, we, we've definitely got a situation here. Yes. Anyway, so is, is there anything else we need to cover here? I think we've we've gone through, like, what do we even mean by this AI stuff? How is it, where did it come from? What's been going on the last few years? Where is it going to go in the future? Um all the political and, and social fights around it, and then kind of tracing a lot of this to, well, we don't really know what we want to do with AI or with society in general. Um, and, and those kind of big questions hanging as a dark cloud over everything we're doing here, causing a lot of the other kind of confusion and malaise in the topic. Um, and that's that's frustrating when you run into these kind of like, oh, we're trying to sort of study these practical problems and they keep getting traced back to this really big central societal problems uh, that, that are like, well, I can't just solve that in my basement right now. Um, though, of course, we make our attempts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that, that's the stuff we've covered. Is there anything else? 
that we should go over here. Um, I think it's about time that we. I think it's probably about we time. Call it there's, a day. there's probably more, but uh, we can. We'll yeah, there, there's a lot here, but like I'm kind of satisfied that I I feel like we could have a productive discussion about like what does the glorious AI future look like? How could America come up with a bolder AI strategy that doesn't necessarily involve having to solve these big questions? But at some level, you at least need like explicit acknowledgement of the difficulty of these big questions to get to the point of saying, all right, well, we'll solve everything other than that. Um, and, and, and like to get the institutional coherence to come up with a AI grand strategy that doesn't necessarily rely on those things. Like what, what China's up to right now, well, that itself involves these huge questions about what are we even trying to do with society? And, and, you know, China has their answers. Like ultimately they're trying to achieve some kind of socialism with Chinese characteristics, whatever they figure out that to mean. Um, but at least they sort of have an answer. Uh, we'll see how that answer f- plays out over the next decades. But um, yeah, I, I think it's an important topic. Thanks so much for helping to enlighten us on this topic. Yep. Um, um, we'll I'm, I'm, left, I'm left with questions and frustrations, but I feel that we have made progress. Um, and I hope that we can continue to kind of shed light on these fundamental questions of American politics and American political life, because I think they are some of the most fundamental questions we face right now. Um, and, and that's really what we're trying to do here, isn't it? Yep. Um, yeah, with that, any final words? Uh, onward to hopefully slightly more glorious future than yesterday. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Um, all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for coming on, Pasha um that was fun let's um let's go till next time